Hi, I'm Erwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. It, it doesn't slip past me how crazy today is. 2,000 years later, we're having a conversation about Jesus of Nazareth. We're talking about a man who walked on this earth who before he was crucified made claims that he was God walking among us in flesh and blood. And then he foreshadowed that, that the end of the story would be different than what we expected, that he would become a sacrifice for all of us, and that it would all be for love. That when we would look back on his life, when we would look back on his story, when we would look back on his sacrifice, that we would know it was all for love. I, I don't know about you, but I've lived my life long enough to know that I've, I've had love make a fool of me more than once. How about you? And in fact, sometimes I just feel so foolish because of what I've done because of love. And, and, and oftentimes it's not even about the love you have, but the love you long for. Have you ever had a, a love that always eluded you? A love that you've always wanted but never found? For me, it was really rooted in my dad. I'm from El Salvador, and, and I never knew my real father. I, I've heard stories about him. I hear legends and myths about who he is, but I don't really know almost anything about him. I, I know he married my mom, and I know that they had two kids, my brother and myself. I know that he spoke maybe 10, 12 different languages, that he was a linguist and that he taught at a university and that my mom fell in love with him when she was 16 and the marriage was over by the time she was 19. I know he was a brilliant man, but also a violent alcoholic. And I always wanted to know him. I always wanted to know something about him. And, and I would ask my mom and she would just stay pretty guarded. It was a painful part of her life and she didn't want me to open those doors. I would ask my grandparents, but they were clearly committed to a vow of silence. And, and let me tell you, if you don't know anything about Latin culture, secrecy is a huge part of who we are. <laughs> One time my grandfather told my wife, Kim, the secret to having a happy marriage is to hide your secrets. <laughs> and they hid their secrets well. But I always had this longing to meet my dad. Not, 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 even just to know him, just to, just to know him for a moment. I thought maybe in that moment I could know something, not just about him, but about myself. And I realized it wasn't so much that I, I, I wanted to experience his love. I think a huge part of it was I wanted to know if I was worthy of love. And then I found out years later, decades later, I was an adult and time had passed. My mom told me, you know, you met your dad once. I said, when? said, you were a little boy, and you were in the lobby of a hotel in the city of San Salvador, and you're standing with your brother, and this man walked up to you, and he leaned down to you and made eye contact, and he said, hi, I'm your dad. I'm your father. And my mom said, you looked at him and said, you can't be my father, because if you were my father, you would live with us. 
And then my mom said, I saw him, and so I came and swooped you away and took you away. And decades later, I was told that was your dad. I have tried to extract that memory, but I can't remember it. I don't know if I remember the moment or remember the, st- the story of that moment. I, I-, I want to somehow pull out the details of his face or to remember what it looked like to look into his eyes. And, and-, and I-, I realize there's something inside of us humans. No matter how long we live, how mature we become, how old we get, when it comes to the paralyzing effect of love, we're all like small children. <laughs> Not only will we all be made fools of by love, but even knowing that, you'll still be willing to be made a fool for love. There's something about the human story. In fact, if, if, if some species one day decides to write the story of humanity in all of our insanity, in all of our violence, in all of our disappointments, in all of our brokenness, I, I think they're going to be able to look at us and go, they were doing it all to try to be loved. And that then makes sense why God did what he did the way he did. Because people ask me, well, well if God is for us, why do it this way? Why step into human history? Why take on flesh and blood? Why walk among us? Why become Jesus? Why allow himself to be brutalized? Why suffer? Why be crucified? Yet when we understand that the language of God is love, then we understand that the highest expression of love is sacrifice. There's a moment in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. It's after the crucifixion of Jesus, but... but before they understood the resurrection. And this particular story is written by one of the disciples of Jesus who always names the other disciples but doesn't name himself. He'll tell you if it's Peter, he'll tell you if it's John, he'll tell you if it's Matthew, but he won't tell you it's him. He'll just say, the disciple that Jesus loved. That must have been irritating when everyone else read that. Of course, Jesus loved them all, but he loved me most. And and so he writes this in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. <laughs> A.K.A. John. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And I want you to notice that... Mary concluded right away that they had stolen Jesus' body because no one imagined that he was alive. Not even the ones that were closest to him, not even the ones that believed in him, not even the ones that had placed their hope in him. See, when people say, well, I think this was something they fabricated, this is something they constructed, this was a lie that they began to tell, they couldn't even imagine this lie. This lie to them would have been incredulous. No one would have ever believed this, and they didn't even believe it when it was the truth. And so instead of assuming that Jesus rose from the dead, instead of believing the words he had said, instead of remembering all the times he had said this would happen, she assumes his body is stolen. And we don't know where they put him. No one put him anywhere. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. Now when I read that, I, I, I immediately started thinking about the LA Marathon. How every year I just go crazy because the LA Marathon has thousands of people running through LA and nobody can get to church. <laughs> and I always have to be so careful because the president of the LA Marathon is a part of Mosaic. Love you. <laughs> love the marathon. I just don't love that everybody's running through the city and can't get here. And I realized, oh, it's, it's right there in the Bible. The, the first marathon on Sunday was in the Bible and it was Peter and John 
and they were running, but the other disciple, I love this, but the other disciple, the one that remains nameless, outran Peter. Is that really important detail to add to the Bible? I just think John has let you know. I took him down. I was there first. The other disciple outran Peter and ran to the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So John got there first, but he stopped before he entered in. Then Simon Peter, the old guy. Then Simon Peter came along behind him because young John outran old Peter. But he stopped too soon. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. I love that about Peter. No hesitation. That's, that's Peter's life, right? If you know anything about Peter, he always said the wrong thing. If he thought it, he said it. If he thought it, he did it. It's Peter. Lord, tell me, I'll walk in the water. Sure, come. All right, let's go. <laughs> Roman soldier comes, Peter grabs a sword. A fisherman with a sword. What are you doing with a weapon? Cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus has to pick up the ear, put it back on. Peter, stop. <laughs> Peter's always messing up. But this time, that, that, that impetuous passion actually worked for Peter. Because he, did, he couldn't keep up with John. But when John stopped, Peter just kept running through. He went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the clothes that had wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying there in its place, separate from the linen. By the way, you don't need to take your grave clothes when you've risen from the dead. Finally, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, the one who got there first, had reached the tomb first but also went inside. He was hesitant, but then when he saw Peter's courage, he entered in. Then he says this, he saw and believed. And it sounds like such a definitive statement, but then he writes, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still didn't get it. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And I wonder how many of us have come so close to the empty tomb, so close to the power of the resurrection, but we were just standing just on the outside looking in. And it's almost as if we're there, but we have not crossed that line of faith to where the resurrection of Jesus has changed our lives forever. And we see and we believe and we believe what we've seen, but there's so much more to know. I want you to know if you believe, but you have not been transformed, if you believe that your life hasn't been radically changed, if you believe that you're not alive, you haven't stepped across that line and entered in the way Jesus wants you to. It would be such a tragedy to get so close and not enter in. One of the interesting things about life is that hindsight is more powerful than foresight, isn't it? In, in fact, if you could write all of your life story backwards, it would, you would just get it all right. And that's exactly what John is doing. See, he's writing this moment, not in the moment. He's writing this moment looking back on this moment. He's writing it knowing what he didn't know in that moment. And what you find is just before this moment in John chapter 13... In verse 1, when Jesus gathers his disciples together for Passover, he writes this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. That's a poetic way of saying he knew it was time for him to die. 
having loved his own who were in the world. Here it is. He loved them to the end. John wants us to know that there is an endless love waiting for us all. He loved them to the end. This is how John describes the last days and the last hours of Jesus. This is what John saw when he saw Jesus brutalized, when he saw him tormented and tortured, shamed and ridiculed. This is what he concluded when he watched Jesus carry that cross up that hill. This is what John understood when he watched Jesus allow himself to be crucified on that cross, that he loved them to the end. And he knew that they did not love him to the end. But it's an interesting statement, he loved them to the end. Because the end of love is endless. He loved them to the end, but they didn't know that the end was just the beginning. See, he loved them to the end, but they didn't know that when they thought the story had finished, it had just gotten started. See, if Jesus' story ended at the cross, he would have loved them to the end, but he rose from the dead. So love has conquered death. Love is more powerful than death. Hate has an expiration date, but love is timeless and endless and eternal. And he wants you to know that he loves you to the end and beyond. He loves you to the end of yourself. He loves you to the end of your story. He loves you when you get to the end of your own story going, I can't do this anymore alone. He'll love you to the end so that he can begin you again. Some of us are so stubborn that we keep writing with ink filled with emptiness and despair, with loneliness and shame. It's as if God is saying, but you let that ink run out because I'm going to love you to the end so that I can then begin again with you. Then John writes words that unwrap what Jesus did. He wants us to know it's all for Love. In 1 John, he writes this later, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, without saying something that sounds too simplistic, I want you to listen to the power of the simplicity. He wants us to know that love actually comes from God. And that God is love. That everything that has ever come out of God is an expression of his love. This entire universe is the material reflection of God's love for you. God never created anything that was not an expression of love. When he created the universe, the solar system, the cosmos, when God created stars and moons and planets and comets, when God created this earth, when God created the mountains and the rivers, when God created the oceans and the valleys, God created all as an expression of love. It should never surprise you that the atmosphere of this planet is perfectly formed to keep you alive because it is an absolute declaration of God's love for you. I want you to know, no matter what you've heard about God, God's singular motivation toward you is love. Because God is God's singular motive for every action he takes. I think we've done God a great disservice by speaking on his behalf. We act as if God is all about filling us with guilt and shame and 
seeing us through the eyes of judgment and condemnation and wrath and anger. But let me tell you, that's not a reflection of God. That's a reflection of us. Everything that expresses love comes from the source of God. Every time you've experienced love, that love exists because God is. See, love exists because God is. And when you experience just a moment, have you ever had a moment where you're just overwhelmed with love? Have you ever been just raptured by love? Ever had that moment of incandescent love? If you're married, you should be nodding right now. She's going, sweetie, that's all I know. That's like 24 seven, right? If you're dating, that, it, that relationship's over. If you didn't just go, Then we spend our lives searching for just a moment. Isn't that part of the problem is that we step into it for a moment and then it it disappears like a morning mist under the weight of a scorching sun. And we wonder, was that love? Have I ever known love? And every time we thought we had love and we lost it, we wonder if love actually exists at all or is it just an illusion? But I want you to know that that everything God has done from the first act of creation to the death of his son on the cross was his declaration to you that he loves you. And I know so much can get lost in translation so God speaks in the language of Jesus. See, so that we can understand wherever we've come from, whatever language you speak, God's language is his son. And what John wants us to understand is the reason Jesus came into this world. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. This is the language of God so that you can understand. So if you're going, God, what are you trying to say to me? But you know that, that Jesus is his declaration to let you know, I see you. You matter. You have infinite value and worth. And no one can ever talk me out of loving you with an unconditional love. This is the language of God to you. And so if you want to know why Jesus came into human history, why God took on flesh and blood, why he walked among us, why did he do it this way? Why did he step into human history? It's because he knows how hard it is for us to understand what God is saying. He wants you to hear his voice, which is why John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word dwelt among us. He wants us to know that God is speaking and his message of love is declared on a cross and exclaimed through an empty tomb. But then he goes on to say, he sent his one and only son through the world that we might live through him. See, love is not only God's singular motive, but he wants us to understand that it's love that brings us to life, that we might live through him. If you take just a little time and begin reading the scriptures, you'll discover that the words love and life find each other all the time. You almost can't read about life and not read about love. Or read about love and not read about life. Because you see, one of the things that God understands because he designed you is that if you don't know love, you don't know life. If you don't have love, you don't have life. In fact, you'll spend your entire life trying to fill the vacuum that's supposed to be filled by love through fame or success or power. And it will leave you empty and everything else you pursue in life is just an attempt to try to satisfy that longing in your soul to be loved. 
And so he, John writes in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, listen to his language. We know that we have passed from death to life. I love the imagery. We know we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And then he says this, and it's a little ominous. Anyone who does not love remains in death. He doesn't say is going to die. He says remains in death. I don't think most of us really think of ourselves as remaining in death unless we know love. Have you ever been to a museum to look at paintings with a bougie friend? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, you know? Like, you're just looking at stuff going, I don't know. Right? You can look at some paintings and you go, oh yeah, that looks like her. I can see that. Lake. Canoe. I, I get that. But then you start moving into abstract art. You know, the art that emerged after we started using psychedelic drugs. You know, abstract art. Expressing what we see in our wildest imagination. And, and have you ever looked at abstract art and thought to yourself, I think I did that when I was 10. Right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I have something that good. But then you got this bougie friend that starts telling you why this painting is worth $20 million. Why Jackson Pollock is not like everyone else. And you're like, yeah, no. I think somebody like conned you, convinced you that that's art. It might just be that you do not have the eyes to see the beauty right in front of you. I wonder if God would say the same thing about your life as a painting as you would. See, maybe what you're saying about yourself, I'm alive! And God's like, "Mm, I've seen life. I kind of know life, I am life, and... What you have is not life. I'll be polite, it's existence. Oh, I won't be polite, it's death. Is it possible that, that we've become so inoculated by each other's existence and because we all simply exist that we've convinced ourselves this is all there is? And maybe that's why we get a little uncomfortable around people who are fully alive. Because when they're fully alive, they're almost like an explosion of colors in the midst of our gray world. Is it possible that God looks at you and says, this is not the masterpiece I created you to become. I'm waiting to take you from death to life. And the only thing that moves you from death to life is love, I'm telling you. That moment where you know you are fully and completely loved, that moment when you are enveloped by love, when you realize you have been captured by a relentless love, he'll change everything in your life. There's some of you that are desperately on a search for love, but you're running as hard as you can from God, but it is insanity to search for love and run from God. But it's love that brings you to life, and that's why... That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he became the sacrifice for you and for me. Because God understands that the ultimate declaration of love is sacrifice. There's nothing more God could do. 
But the tricky thing about love is that you may love someone with every fiber of your being, but you are powerless to make that person love you. You can make a person fear you, but you cannot make a person love you. And because God created you in his image and likeness, he will not make you love him. He leaves that to you. He has loved you with a relentless, unconditional, everlasting, passionate, beautiful, sacrificial love. He has done everything he can do to move you to life. And love is the bridge from death to life. When you open your life to Jesus, what you're doing is receiving love completely. You know, it's a curious thing about us humans. We not only desperately need to be loved. Now I'm telling you, you'll spend so much of your life making a fool of yourself trying to be loved. But you also desperately need someone to want your love. Isn't that strange? It's so odd that not only do we need to be loved, but we need someone to want our love for themselves. And it'll haunt you all your life if no one ever receives your love, wondering if there's something wrong with your love. Can you imagine being God, the source of perfect love, doing everything that must be done, giving his life on a cross, loving us without condition, waiting for us to receive that love so that we can love in return? We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. He's not saying that to judge you. He's saying that to awaken you because the world slept while Jesus rose and the world is sleeping while Jesus is rising and are you awake right now? Are you aware of that death that holds you it feels like loneliness. It feels like emptiness. See, we don't know what death feels like, but I'm telling you, death feels like despair. Death feels as if your soul is being swallowed up by the brokenness and the shattered pieces of you. He wants to move you from that to life through love. But then this John, remember the guy who ran there first? The one, the nameless one? the one whom Jesus loved, the one who got there first but didn't enter in. There's some of you who got there first but you did not enter in. There's some of you who grew up in faith. There's some of you who grew up in church. There's some of you who knew who Jesus was and you believed but you, you waited on the outside of the tomb and you never entered in. And I'm not sure what you were afraid of or what held you back but something kept you back. And I, I, I just hope that there's somebody like Peter who just runs right by you into the tomb and comes out alive so that you find the courage to enter in yourself. Because Jesus is waiting for you to cross that line of faith, to move from death to life, to enter into his love. And the great surprise of it all is that when you walk into love, when you enter into love, all fear is cast out. Because not only does love bring us to life, but love conquers all fear. So John writes these words. Afraid to go into the empty tomb. Paralyzed, waiting outside. He writes, there is no fear in love. 
John learned this. But perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, isn't that crazy? He's talking about God's relationship to us and he's saying, you don't have to be afraid of punishment. <laughs> Let me tell you, you should be glad I'm not God. Because <laughs> if I came and I did it all for you, if I left eternity and stepped into time, emptied myself of all my power and took on your humanity and became the perfect expression of love and then you beat me and you spit on me and you tear my clothes and you strip me naked and you whip me until my skin and my flesh is falling off my bone and you mock me with a false crown a crown of thorns, and you leave me almost unrecognizable, then you make me carry the instrument of my death up a hill, and then you nail me to it, and you mock me while I'm hanging there dying, and then I die on that cross. If I come back, <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. <laughs> Do you understand that this story has the greatest twist of any story ever written? That Jesus conquered death. That he rose from the grave. But he did not come back with wrath or anger or judgment or condemnation. He came back and he called them friends. He came back and offered his forgiveness. He came back and gave them love. And John says, I have seen Jesus come alive from the dead. And there is no fear in his love. And that's the beauty of all of this. See, we're not inviting you into a religion. There, there, there's, there are no loopholes. There's no contract. It's unconditional love. And you can do with it as you will. And you can receive it by receiving Jesus and allowing his love to change your life. Because it was all for love. He didn't need to die on the cross to judge you. He didn't need to suffer to condemn you. The only reason he needed to die on a cross, the only reason he needed to suffer on our behalf is so that we could know love. Because it was all, it was all for love. It was all for love. It was all for you. And then John entered in, the nameless disciple, the one whom he loved. He entered in and stepped into that grace, into that forgiveness. He stepped into that love that cast out all fear. John wrote these words, and uh, John lived a long life. He was the only one who did. The other disciples that were John's friends, they were all captured and imprisoned and brutally murdered. They were murdered because they refused to recant that Jesus was Lord. They refused to deny that Jesus rose from the dead. 
they held on to their confession. They said, we, we, can't, we can't change our story because this is what happened. Jesus has changed us. And he watched one by one by one by one perfect love cast out of fear. And whether they were set on fire or cut in two or beheaded, one by one by one perfect love cast out of fear. But John, John was not murdered. He was not assassinated. He was not killed. He, he was exiled to an island called Patmos. And he grew old there watching all the ones he loved live for love and die for love and declare it's all for love. And in the book of Revelation, he writes the strangest thing. He, he says, when, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, he writes, and there will be no more seas. And I thought, that's kind of strange. Why no more seas? I, I like seas. And in fact, it says in the, in the new city, there are rivers, so I know God loves water. Why no more seas? And then it hit me. See, John spent his life exiled on this island, and every day he only saw the sea. And the sea became the symbol of what divided him from everyone he loved. And every day of his life, he felt that discussion. Every day of his life, he felt that loneliness. Every day of his life, he felt that distance. And, and that sea became that reminder to him that the things were not the way they should be yet. Not yet. So oh, I'm telling you, this Jesus who has cast out all fear, this Jesus whose love moved me from death to life, this Jesus who has taught me that love is God's singular motive in all the universe, this Jesus who taught me that the end of love is endless, this Jesus will end all the separation between me and love. And I want you to know, Jesus is here right now. He's offering you love in life, but needs you to cross that line of faith and to open up your life for him. Remember, you can't force someone to love you, but you can't accept someone's love. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.